0: And that's the problem is that too many of us get caught in the rat race of playing for the short term wins, when in reality, there's a long term gain to be had. And there's different kinds of short term wins. And the ones that I try to focus on are the short term wins that attribute to the long term gains, because not all short term wins are created equal. Some of them come at the expense of the long term, and the ones that don't often require more work, more knowledge, more insights and more investments. And that's the price that sometimes I'm willing to pay, not even sometimes, but always. Sometimes I just don't know what that price is going to be. You're listening to The Isaac Velez Show, a podcast that inspires high performers to reach new heights and be better than their best. My name is Isaac, and I'm best known for my performance coaching, elevating elite athletes and entrepreneurs to unlock their full potential. On this podcast, I sit down and share vulnerable stories on my journey, lessons that I've learned, and I bring on high performers as guests to unlock new insights and share authentic conversations about what winning really looks like. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome everyone to today's episode on The Isaac Falez Show. Today we're going to be talking about the downfall of always being transactional. Unfortunately, many of us in situations where we're networking, we're meeting new people, we're connecting. Sometimes it's a bit of a transaction, number for number, name for name, favor for a favor. And in the business world, we see this a lot—the chits and the chats and the IOU ones. Now, the first time I was exposed to this was maybe when I was fifteen, and I was—I went to a conference with my parents. Uh, my mom was part of this group and I was at this conference and I was seeing people interact at this hotel and I was seeing all these people dressed in suits and they were saying they would do one thing for another because I was hearing the conversations and it had nothing to do with what the families were doing or what the people actually cared about doing. It was a little bit of small talk. Oh, how's the family? How's this, how that all into this is what I need. This is what I'll give you in return. And it was just a complete, transaction, one thing for another. And as I grew older, and as we come into this world where I am in that business world, and now I do have those opportunities to network with a lot of people, I started to finally understand why people did it that way. They always looked at what's in it for me. What can I get out of this situation? There were always takers. And a lot of us are that way. I was that way for a long time. Anything that I could take advantage of, I took advantage of. Because in my head, my thought process was, why wouldn't you take advantage of something that is open to being taken advantage of? Like it, it would make sense for you to advance yourself if the opportunity presented itself. And so that's really what I was thinking. That is exactly what I was thinking. If there's an advantage, you press your advantage. That's the whole point of having an advantage, Right. But over time, and through reading, through advice, through mentorship, I've learned that there is a big negative downside of always being transactional. And that's in people always see it that you're always in it for yourself. And there's a consistency to that, sure. But you don't actually have any sense of loyalty with them or respect. Because the loyalty comes from caring about the person within, caring about the intentions, caring about their lives. And so what I've learned is, and I had a conversation on this podcast, I think it was episode 103, with Ben Cooper, who uh, advises pre-law students um, on, you know, finding how to get into good law schools and career advice and stuff like that. And we talked about networking as being more than just transactional, fostering real relationships with real people. And so what I've learned is the best way that I can take advantage of my network is to build better relationship with them. It's to call them and ask how they're doing, seeing what's new with their life with a genuine interest in what's going on. Because if you see cultures that respect more collectivism, not the US, the US is more individualistic. But if you look at Europe, China, other countries that value this a little more, they actually have more customs where they have a different way of doing things. So for example, in Switzerland, it was common. I think it's still common, but I know it was common about 20 years ago that before any formal business conversation, you would have to do small talk and chit chat for the first 10 to 20 minutes because you wanted to get to know the other person and you would not discuss business during that time. You think about real relationships. People take clients to dinners and they have great dinners and they don't talk anything about the business. Only until the last point of like, I want to do business with you. Why? Because they buy into the person, not the idea. They buy into the offer or they buy into the person, not the offer. And I learned this too from a conversation with a venture capitalist. And he told me, he said, we invest in people. We've seen great ideas by people that we don't think are able to bring those ideas to life. And we've seen terrible and weird ideas by guys who aren't we know are able to bring them. There's one guy, I won't mention his name. He started four companies with this, with this VC firm uh, based in North Carolina. His last one, crazy idea. Some of you might have heard of it. It's called Spiffy. It's basically a car wash that comes to you. This really had not been done in concept well. No one's executed this well. He comes to the VCs with this idea. They think he's crazy. But he's also had eight, or not three. Sorry, he's had three successful launches, each spanning across millions to tens to hundreds of millions across each of his exits of those launches. So this guy comes with a crazy idea, but this these guys know that they don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to make it work. And that was about maybe three, four years ago, and this company has sizably grown to this day, not just doing car washes but also auto repairs at your house, at your office figured out how to make it work. He's even franchising the model now. People invest into people, not their ideas, not their offers, not how good they're at sales or marketing, but at people. And if you're a transactional person, you cannot be invested into they only invest into the transaction, meaning the value they get out of the transaction, not the value they believe you provide. And so if you want a one-way transaction with less effort, being transactional is great. You make a deal, you leave, never think about it again. Both of you have value taken, done. But when you have a relationship, you continually come back to the person. You have a tra- transactional accountant. Okay, I need this done. All right, I'll see you next year for my, for my taxes. You have an accountant that cares about you and your family, gives you the advice that you need. All right, why don't you also do my books? Why don't you do this? Now you have a relationship that's more advantageous because you're being authentic. Because you're able to build real relationships. And so the downfall of being transactional is you sacrifice the long-term gain for the short-term win. And that's the problem. Is that too many of us get caught in the rat race of playing for the short-term wins when in reality there's a long-term gain to be had. And there's different kinds of short-term wins. And the ones that I try to focus on are the short-term wins that attribute to the long-term gains because not all short-term wins are created equal. Some of them come at the expense of the long-term and the ones that don't often require more work, more knowledge, more insights, and more investments. And that's the price that sometimes I'm willing to pay. Not even sometimes, but always. Sometimes I just don't know what that price is gonna be. And so that's the thing. That I always think about when I go into these conversations. How can I serve this person in this moment? I've mentioned it probably two episodes ago. But Unreasonable Hospitality is a fantastic book that I absolutely recommend everybody read. By, uh, I don't know if he still works, but from Eleven Medicine Park. He was one of the top people at that place, at this restaurant in New York City. And he talks about flipping the corporate paradigm or the corporate structure on its head. And so instead of the pyramid where you have the you know the, the, C, the C-suite and the executives and the management and then the people, you put the C-suite at the bottom and they serve the employees. You serve your people. And it was all about doing these crazy things to take care of your people and your customers. And it's funny because whenever I thought about this book, when I was recommended by a friend, I thought about... I think it's from JFK, what he talked about. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's the same way with conversations. I try to go into conversations and say, what can I do for this person? And the problem isn't asking the question. The first problem for me was, well, how do I genuinely want to provide from them without having my own agenda interfere? That one was difficult, but the second one was harder for me. And it was How do you let go of the expectation of something in return? Because we often believe that if we give something, we should get something. Like it's genuine nature to just assume that to be the case. But in these conversations, if you want to foster those big, authentic, real relationships, that's not going to be the best mentality for it. So I had to figure out how to lose that. And so the framework I developed was, firstly... I know that for me to fully, I have very good memory, but only if I care enough about something. So in the past, for example, when I was, you know, back in my early days in college, I remember that, you know, when I would meet people, just new friends and stuff like this, not even friends, but just meeting people. I had a hard time remembering their names. And I realized this was the case was because I was just making conversation in this moment, but I didn't see anything going anywhere with any of these people. So I didn't really have an interest in remembering their names. So when it came to this, the next time I saw them, even if it was two days later, I wouldn't remember their names. So I said, even if I don't believe there's gonna be a long-term you know, relationship here in whatever capacity that means, I have to be able to at least try to remember their names, remember something about them, remember the detail. Because the people that I was interested in, not only can I remember their names, I remember what they were wearing, if they had any fragrance on, I can remember what it smelled like, I can remember every detail of the moment in which the events transpired. Because that's how my memory works, but only if I'm interested. So my first step was how do I become interested in what people have to say to me, or what in people just in the person that's saying something to me. My first step was, okay, this person is telling me about these things. What can I learn about this person experience? And what can I connect that to? So pattern association in the head. So associating a new memory with an existing memory. So for example, sometimes I would, the the first iteration of this was me asking an interesting fact from a person. Okay. Their name was, let's say Mackenzie, but they have a nickname Matt. I just think of something basic. It's funny, but it's something basic. I thought of Mac and Cheese. So when I thought Mac and Cheese, when I saw them the next time, they didn't remind me of Mackenzie. They remind me of Mac and Cheese. Mac is their nickname. Mac is short for Mackenzie. That was the way I remembered. Or if it was like a John. I thought about maybe like an old friend I had when I was a kid. Like, you know, like John who, was like, he, who lived, uh, his parents had a lake house, for example. So I think of him, this John, and I think lake house. Oh, John. Pattern association is the easiest way. And you can do it with the most mundane things, but it helps you remember things so much easier because now you really understand, okay, like what do I have to associate with this person to remember? The next was just make sure that I take care of every business before a conversation. Meaning if there's something pressing, if I need to make a phone call, if I need to send a message, if I need to write down a note, I do that. Before I engage in conversation, because when we have other things on our mind, it really makes it hard for us to take part of a conversation, to take full presence and just sit here in a conversation and engage with someone. So I said, if I have something pending, I cannot in 100% capacity speak with this person and learn from this person. So I said, okay, so let take care of business, go into this conversation. What is a one thing I can learn? So i always had one association and one takeaway and the last thing for me was people often think that you have to continue conversation continue conversation you can end a conversation you can say it was a pleasure meeting you i gotta run catch up next time and you can end it instead of spending 30 minutes on a conversation with a new person which you can do and i've done many many times and even more time and even longer periods than that if i don't have that much time if there's something pending if i don't see this going much I can take my association, I can take my takeaway, and I can carry on, right? There there is a power in saying no, oftentimes greater power than saying yes. And so those were kind of the two frameworks that I developed was pattern association and uh, the takeaway. So being so interested that I could take away one thing that would be insightful and help me in my life. And that was my way of remembering the person. Now, in terms of the giving element, I had to figure out, okay, how do I give to this person? In sales and most things, but sales primarily, you don't sell someone because you know enough about what you sell. You sell someone because you know enough about what someone needs. And when you know about what someone needs, it makes it a lot easier for me to say, okay, here's how I can help you. Because you can't help someone if you don't know what they need. That's the whole point in sales is you have the discovery, you have the probing questions of what does this person need and what are they shooting for? Because in psychology, we either move towards pleasure or away from pain. And part of this process of analyzing what someone needs and asking these questions is I think a big attribute to that and my ability to do that has been the self-awareness and self-discovery part. And what I mean is when you're able to be aware of who you are, right? The why behind what you do things, the ikigai and then you carry out actions, you're not always thinking about processing things in your head, but you're able to be more present in the moment because you're good with you. I feel that when you have conflict, internal conflict, when you have issues pressing, when you have stress, when you have this and that, it's that much harder for you to really be in that moment. And I think this is what happens too in a lot of relationships that you see some people They're just not there. They're not in the relationship because they're dealing with so much internal conflict that they are unable to be present in that moment. They are unable to take away things from that present moment because they're so absorbed with everything else. And so I learned this the hard way because sometimes I would be so caught up in the future thinking about what do I have to do next? How can I improve to the next level? What do I have to do to take my business to the next level that I was taken away from my relationships with my family? with my partner, with my friends. And I wasn't even dedicating that much time to seeing these people. Yet, even in those small instances, I was still not fully present because I was so worried about the future. And it took conversations with them to realize like, hey, you're just not there when we're together. And so I realized that at the end of the day, when it comes to being authentic in a relationship, you have to be able to one, Know how to serve others. Two, know how to take care of business so you can be in that moment. And three, understand yourself well enough so you can listen and learn from others. Because I think it's very hard to learn from others if you still have no idea who you are. Because you don't know how to apply the information. You get the information, but you don't apply it. That's why parents tell their kids. That's why my parents told me, you'll get it when you're older. You don't get it because you're gonna get more information. You'll get it because you'll get the information that allows you to understand the information that you've already received. A lot of the lessons that I learned didn't start to come in play until I improved, until I went under personal development because then everything made sense. And that's the power of one more sometimes. And that's sometimes the downfall of being transactional. Sometimes you miss that one person. That one person that if you were connected to, your whole life could change. Think about it like in dating. Your parents or your family says, "Oh, that's not the one every time you know you, you're in a new relationship where it's a new partner." They're right 50 times. So their odds are overwhelmingly in their favor, but they only have to be wrong once for you to find the partner that you marry. They only have to be wrong once for you to find the business partner that helps you start a business that, that becomes a unicorn. They only have to be wrong once. They can be right 99% of times, so but it's the 1%. It's the overwhelming win that completely takes away what they're doing. And that is why, at the end of the day, optimists can rule the world and control the future over cynicists and pessimists. Because they're right. All the time and they're winning all in the short term, but they lose the long term win because they're wrong that one time that really matters. And optimists are wrong ninety nine percent of the time, and everyone laughs and tells them I was right until the optimists win, and then they're sticking they're stuck there asking, How did you do it? How did you become an overnight success when the overnight success was five years of hard work? And that's oftentimes what I think. My growth has never been linear and Comparatively to where I want to go, it's not even close. But I know that the work and the consistency of improving allows me to create the opportunities for that kind of growth. And also the intentions and the why behind the things that I do here are completely much greater than anything related to growth or size and anything of that matter. And so that's kind of the question you should be asking yourself is, what is the why and the intentions behind the conversations you have? And when you understand those to be good and bigger than just getting something out of a conversation it makes it a lot easier for us to have real and authentic conversations and relationships rather than just being transactional that concludes today's episode veni vidi vici i came i saw i conquered that concludes today's episode of the isaac velez show If you gained any value from today, we'd be grateful if you share the episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you were looking to get more involved with us, visit our website, www.isaacantoniovelez.com, and follow us on Instagram for daily content. See you in the next episode.